today on The Future of Fandom, get invested in the ways cheering for your favorite performer has evolved over time from idol worship to surrogate coaching and quasi-friendship. My name's Adam Connor, I'm your host, and our focus on this episode is through the eyes of Pete Vlastelica from Elysian Park Ventures, the private investment arm of the LA Dodgers ownership group. Pete made a splash in sports journalism as the founder of Yard Barker, Think the Athletic, in the 2000s, before being acquired by Fox Sports, and most recently serving as CEO of Activision Blizzard Esports before joining Elysian Park. He's a battle-tested champion of democratizing access to athletes and entertainers, and he's turned his eye today to wellness. We deep dive on how fans are craving more relatability and accessibility than ever before. And of course, talk about how that affects the content and experiences which we all see today and going forward. Pete has seen that as an operator and now broadly as an investor, which is a first for us here on the show. So let's put our money where his mouth is as we predict the future with Elysian Park Ventures and Pete Flastelica. Pete, great to chat. How are you? I'm very well, Adam. Thank you. It's a bright, sunny day here in Los Angeles. I just wrapped up a morning of calls, had a little lunch, hanging out on the couch with my dog and talking to you. What could be better than that? Other than talking with me, I suppose. You know, I woke up this morning, it was minus 11 where I was. So I am (laughs) a little jealous of your dog couch setup. Very comfy. Come on out, man. Everybody's leaving California, so there's plenty of room for you. (laughs) Wonderful. Great. Okay, I'll take it. I'm interested in chatting with you because, of course, on the show, we talk all about fandoms, but from the specific POV of an individual brand or sport or leader. And I certainly want to get that side of your story out. In fact, we'll begin there. But now in your most recent chapter, you have evolved into an investor who looks at the market a little bit more broadly than your own thing. Let's go back to uh, before you were a investor over the past couple of months here with Elysian. And I want to talk about your experience in building digital fandoms in the world of journalism. Can we start there? Sure. Yeah, I guess I'd start uh, my story, my fandom business story back in business school. I graduated from Stanford in 1999. And I, I bring that up because Palo Alto in 1999 was sort of the epicenter in terms of both place and time of the original internet boom. And I was all in on it and spent you know, the first few years after college working in the internet business. And then in, a few years later, went to business school, also in the Bay Area, but across the Bay at Berkeley. And while I was there, along with a couple co-founders, we created a company called Yard Barker. It was a network of sports blogs that reached uh, about 20 million unique users a month at its peak. We were the first blogging platform for many, many professional athletes. And this is like back in 2006, 7, 8, really pre-mass adoption of most social media as we know it today, like pre-Twitter, pre-all that stuff. And it was the first time that at any kind of scale, professional athletes were able to Kind of directly access their fans and vice versa, where fans were able to like read an athlete's blog post, comment on it, interact with them in comments, and feel sort of a direct connection to their favorite players across all the major sports. Suddenly, 
it was less important that the outlet was objective and unbiased and you know and more interesting to read content that was written in the voice of of a fan like in other words in the voice that they used when they were at the bar talking sports with their buddies right and so i think there was this uh, upwelling of interest in a more colloquial and casual and honest form of sports content and that's what was happening on the blogs so that along with the direct access to athletes that was sort of coming through blogs and then eventually social media i think really shifted sports media in a way that doesn't get talked about a ton today but that you can see through the type of content that a lot of the more traditional sports media outlets today the sports illustrateds and espns of the world even have sort of shifted their style of coverage i think in a lot of ways that sort of blogging that moment for blogging changed the way that we consume sports content well not only from the perspective of the fan but also from the perspective of the athlete it's not hard to think about the athletic and their recent purchase at the hands of the new york times when you think about how to get closer to the action whether that be closer to how you feel about it or closer to the people that are actively participating in it and sure i have watched espn and noted the change from the objective style of sports center to the Stephen A. Smiths of today, which are emotionally charged. And that's what drives engagement. That's what drives passion. And ultimately, that's what drives fandom. And then sports went E, and you were able to build up communities and, and passionate fan bases, of course, of, of all the wonderful games that Activision was putting together. And uh, listeners, if you are interested in video games at all, then titles like Overwatch and Call of Duty will be easy to come by. And so what was different and what was similar about building and retaining experiences for fans of sports occurring IRL and sports based on games? Yeah, I mean, there were a few differences for sure. There was a lot of similarities. You know, we sold out for the Overwatch League grand finals, for example, we sold out large arenas in Brooklyn and Philadelphia, you know, tens of thousands of screaming fans, where if you didn't know you were at an esports event, you know, you might just think you're at a Nets game or a Sixers game or something, just by the scale of the audience, the noise they made, the enthusiasm, passion for their teams, all those sorts of things. So in a lot of ways, like if you squinted, it looked a lot like a traditional sport. But then, you know, when you looked a little wider, there were definitely differences. I mean, it, for one thing, the audience was global. That was one thing that was different and that I had to adapt to. Um, it was a younger audience. At the time I joined Activision, I remember doing some research and seeing that the average NFL fan was 55 years old. And this is, again, like five years ago. So I probably gotten even older. Wow. The average NFL fan was 55 years old and had gotten 10 years older over the previous 10 years. In other words, 10 years prior to that, the average NFL fan was 45. So they're getting older. And, you know, baseball fans were even older. I think uh, NBA fans were a little younger, but not a lot younger. And so one of the nice things about esports was that, you know, we were dealing with fans who on average were like 20 to 25 years old, you know, who were digital native, uh, who were used to engaging on platforms like Twitch and YouTube um, and Twitter and didn't have expectations that, you know, the content was going to be produced and available on, on an ESPN or on a national network or something, because a lot of them didn't even have television bundle subscriptions, right? And so that was different. And I think gave us lots of opportunity to 
try and experiment with new ways of engaging the audience through digital platforms and in ways that reached all of our audience, not just some of our audience. I think that's a difference, right? Like at Fox and ESPN and these places, like there is experimentation happening with second screen, multi-view, multicast kind of digital first sort of ways to stream a match or to give, you know, let fans engage around a game. But they're not reaching the entire audience because most of the audience is still watching that game on TV. With a digital native sport like esports, you know, when you roll out a new feature, it's reaching everybody. So we did, you know, when we worked with our partners, Twitch or YouTube, to build some new feature into the viewing experience, like that was getting rolled out to everybody that was watching matches. And that was exciting. I think the stakes for a digital guy like me, like the stakes being a little higher made it made it more fun. So today, all the while you were looking for organizations which were certainly forward-looking, but also were building their own fandoms within health and within wellness. And I know this is where you've turned in your most recent uh, turn for Elysian. I'd like to talk a little bit about that because we've had a little bit of experience on this show talking about that wellness and specifically the fusion of physical and financial wellness. Mm. And I'm curious what your thoughts are there uh, when it comes to new experiences for consumers. Mm. So I left Activision in March, and then the last six or so months, I've been working with a group called Elysian Park Ventures, which is the private investment group that's affiliated with the LA Dodgers ownership group. We're investing in things that are either in or adjacent to the sports world. You know, that might be something like a sports betting or daily fantasy platform like a DraftKings, or it might be something in, in wellness. And, and this is an area that I've sort of personally been spending more and more time in. And I think of wellness, especially in the context of sports, you can think of wellness as being largely about performance and longevity. And elite athletes now are, you know, are probably in our society, probably the ones with the most vested interest in optimizing their performance and their longevity. And there are things that most athletes, the average elite athlete wasn't doing 10 years ago that now many are doing that are no longer taboo, like things like thinking about their sleep, thinking about recovery, thinking about nutrition, thinking about mental health, you know, adopting mindfulness, meditation, breathwork practices. You know, these are things that may have sort of seemed quirky or unnecessary or or maybe even if 10 years ago if an athlete was participating in them now they're they're participating with a higher degree of sophistication just because the because the industries and the expertise around these topics has sort of expanded in the last 10 or so years and the access to that information has grown and so we look at businesses in that space that have an opportunity to reach a mass market but where an athlete or a team or a league can help grow the business and then help the mass market by sort of shining some headlights on on the opportunity and demonstrating that you might actually help them, you know, perform at their peak or extend their careers. You know, it's interesting. I think about the fan, uh, I don't want to say the fan of old, but like the fan that you were just describing, the, the, the average 55-year-old fan, the ever-aging football fan who probably sees their heroes of the game as somebody on the big screen making the big play and not necessarily somebody who's so relatable. It's like idolatry almost. Whereas 
the newest age fans, consumers, viewers of any of these things expect a more direct social approach from the people that they are fans of and whether that means the actions that they see on the field or the initiatives they take off of it. And, you know, I think about, I know that you all are involved with TV 12, but like, that's one example of like, it could be anything from a funny TikTok or a relatable short piece of snackable content all the way up to some offering that allows me more direct access. How have you as an investor leaned in to that specifically where the hero worship has become more of like a surrogate coach? I think that's really well said um, and really a really smart observation. And I completely agree. I think, you know, going back to what makes the esports fan unique, let's say they're young, young, global and digital native. You know, part of the reason that the average NFL fan is 55 is that most NFL content is trapped behind a cable paywall and most young people aren't subscribing to that bundle. And so if your content is sort of locked into a bundle that young people aren't accessing, then of course they're not going to be following you because they can't even watch the games. Right. And yet, meanwhile, they're spending lots and lots of time on platforms that have more of a a peer to peer feel than television does. You know, television's one to many peer-to-peer is many-to-many, or digital platforms in general, many of them are, are sort of peer, are many-to-many. And that many-to-many dynamic creates a different type of relationship between a hero and a follower, or let's say uh, an influencer and a follower, or a performer and a fan. Suddenly, the relationship feels more relatable, more familiar, more like a friendship, more like the fan has like a real stake in the success of the performer. And they feel a connection with them that I don't think last generation sports fans felt with their favorite players. I think to your point, it was a very different dynamic where it was like the star was untouchable and unrelatable and the fan just sat there and watched and worshiped, I guess. But I think when it comes to things like wellness, I think part of the reason I'm so optimistic and and kind of bullish on this as an investment category is that, this dynamic plays right into the entire industry of of fitness, nutrition, and wellness broadly because it's now easier than ever for a fan of an athlete to learn and follow an athlete's training, nutrition, recovery, uh, mindfulness, et cetera, routine, and to use the services, the products, and to kind of follow the experts that these athletes are are using and following to get the performance edge and the longevity edge that they're looking for. So that's a big part of the reason that we're, we're excited about the category. And, you know, I think 10 years ago, this wouldn't have been such an opportunity because the, again, the dynamic would have been such that an average fan would look at it and an average elite athlete and say like, that person's different from me. It's changed. It's totally changed. And the idea that you can get more access like in that way, whether it's watching an esports star practice on Twitch, or whether it's somebody that you maybe can only see through the screen on like a YouTube going into something IRL, like a music festival, it is just a vastly different way of experiencing your favorite people. And by the way, it's interesting that you note that you saw the lineup for Coachella. Listeners, this is being recorded just two days after the lineup for the governor's ball in New York was released. And uh, wary eyes will have seen on day two, about halfway down the list, wasn't even a very big name, wasn't a headliner, 
was a single word, diesel. <laughs> and anybody who knows what that is would have said, wait a second, that's not some no-name artist. That's Shaquille <laughs> O'Neal. <laughs> and he's there performing. So if you're in the NYC, head on over and watch Shaq spin the records for you. But anyway, that, that's just, uh, it's a very interesting observation that I've seen. And certainly the future. So I want to, well, I've got to stick to the namesake here and round out with a question about what you envision going forward as to the future of fandom. What do you see as the future for fan engagement with celebrity? Right now, it's in that wellness space with starting their own ventures, giving you access like you never had it before. Even that is new-ish over the last five to 10 years. What are we going to see in the next five to 10? Yeah, well, I, I think there's still lots and lots of room for this trend that I've mentioned to play out. And I think that'll happen quickly and start to spread into kind of other categories, not just wellness, that let's say elite athletes are able to provide a bit of credibility around and help businesses in these categories grow. And so I, I think it's it's sort of the traditional celebrity endorsement, but now with a real level of authenticity that just makes the pitch less of a sales pitch and more of a, just kind of shining a light. I think that's where things are headed. I, I think more and more openness, more and more transparency, more and more authenticity, more and more being called to account when something isn't authentic or credible or transparent. And I think the personalities that are going to win are going to be the ones that can look you in the eye and explain why they like something in their life and have you believe it and have it be true. So celebrities are going to build businesses. You know, you're already seeing this with you know, talent agencies are no longer just interested in booking uh, jobs for their clients. They're building businesses, you know. And becoming venture arms as well, investing in these businesses too. They see the writing on the wall. Yeah, that's been happening for a while. And now, you know, there are entire agencies popping up, like top agents leaving the traditional talent agencies and forming new ones with the explicit strategy of building businesses for their clients, which, you know, lots of them have tried to do for a while, but maybe not with the level of sophistication or, or expertise or focus on, you know, finding the right partners that it takes. I think this is what we'll see more and more. And, you know, whether those businesses are wellness businesses or sports betting businesses, or really you name it, I think that there's a, a story around at a minimum differentiation of a business that's founded by somebody that already has an audience built in versus one that needs to go out and build the audience. Yep. It's going to be fascinating to watch, fascinating to see. And Pete, it's cool that you're on the front edge of it all, especially in that investment world. Looking forward to seeing uh, everything that you get involved in too, personally. But for uh, peering into the future a little bit with me here, I truly appreciate it. And uh, best of luck with everything. Thanks a lot. I appreciate your interest. Thanks again to Pete Vlastelica from Elysian Park Ventures for joining us. And hey, thanks for investing in our future today. And thanks to you, the listener, by the way, for exploring the future of fandom with us. I want you to stay right here. So stay connected, subscribe to the future of fandom wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, also livelike.com, socially on LinkedIn at livelike, on Twitter at livelike Inc. You'll get all of our content right there. I look forward to predicting the future again with you real soon. And until then, I'm Adam Connor saying so long and thanks for being a fan.